0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics Tonight, the federal government unveils its long-awaited plan to respond to the recommendations of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous women and girls, but the plan's more like a framework and most of the action comes later. I'll speak with Canada's Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations. One of the key groups representing Native women is condemning the action plan and the process behind it and calling on the United Nations to intervene. We'll get their point of view. And with the eyes of the nation focused on the treatment of Indigenous people in Canada and the push for reconciliation, two leading Indigenous voices reflect on where we're at and how real change can happen. We'll begin with the release today of the government's action plan for better protecting Indigenous women and girls in Canada. The plan is the response to the 231 recommendations two years ago from the National Inquiry on Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls. The action plan does not include costing, expected outcomes or timelines. That won't come until the fall. Instead, the plan outlines guiding principles, visions and goals presented by Indigenous partner groups, families and provinces and territories. The plan does set out short-term priorities for the next year. They include immediate support services for survivors and family members, continued involvement of survivors and family members in the implementation of the National Action Plan, the creation of an oversight body to represent the interests of families, survivors and Indigenous communities, a public awareness and training campaign to challenge the normalization of violence against Indigenous women and girls, and two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual plus people. Immediate development of an implementation plan and the creation of an intergovernmental table to coordinate ongoing collaboration. Today, with the launch of the
1: plan, we're taking a step forward together to make the transformative change necessary to end this national tragedy. To the survivors and families, we are so grateful for your leadership. We will continue to work with you to make sure your voices are heard and to end the violence and the abuse. To Indigenous communities across the country, our work as partners continues.
2: With the release of the national action plan we shine a spotlight on the immediate actions that need to be taken to implement the national inquiry's calls for justice however the successful implementation of the nap will require more than merely just checking off boxes to complete the calls for justice we need accountability inclusion interconnectedness and concrete actions that improve the lived realities of indigenous women and girls and 2SLGBTQQIA plus people.
0: So clearly the long-awaited action plan is a work in progress and perhaps is meant to be that, but after two years, a lot of people had been expecting more. And what exactly is the federal government committing to in this national action plan for its part? Carolyn Bennett is Canada's Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations. She is with me now. Minister, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. I appreciate it.
3: Well,
4: it's, it's, it's important, thank you.
0: It is, and thanks for the time again. Uh, this action plan, as I've said, has been two years in the making, it's a year overdue, and it's uh, really a framework for action, but not action itself. So uh, how are indigenous women any safer today because of this plan?
4: Well, I think the work that we've been doing over the last two years has uh, informed the work of many governments, including the federal government. And so we've seen the investments along the way, in the fall economic statement in budget 2021, it has allowed um, shelters in the north. There's been many many actions taken, but what the national action plan means today is that the provincial and territorial governments, Indigenous governments, Indigenous organizations are are all coming together to say this is this is the blueprint for what we need to do, and then. We will together as we look at everybody's contributions. Um, there's a consensus document around the around the national action plan, but it, we will then move on with the implementation. But the the most important thing, Peter, is that that because of the data group, um, because of the commitment to have it evergreened based on results, um, that we will. Be able to measure and adapt and measure and adapt so this is the june 2021 um installment but we will get on and and work with our partners to implement it and and i think what you know is that the federal pathway right. is is our contribution to the bigger right. plan and all gonna, the and promises
0: yeah, and yeah, I want to get yeah. to that in a moment. But I'm still on the you sure. know, a lot of people asking today. Why isn't the plan fully costed with timelines for implementation and expected outcomes? When will we see all of that?
4: Well, it, the federal pathway um, is includes the all of the funding from budget 2021, the the fall economic statement, uh, that the federal contribution. Um, has the, the costing there. Um, as we move to uh, implementing the National Action Plan, provinces and territories, indigenous governments, line claim organizations, everybody will work together um, to make sure that, it, that the goal of ending violence against indigenous women and girls and two-spirited people um, ends. And so we are committed to do that work and to be accountable for its results.
0: As you know, a number of indigenous groups have complained that uh, they were excluded from the process and so they reject the action plan. the Native women's Association of Canada has now filed a human rights complaint calling this plan to calling it a plan to have a plan and calling on the United Nations to get involved and compel you to take immediate action. How do you respond to that criticism?
4: Well, the Native women's Association had a full seat at the table um, um, I you know I think that I just want to say the Native Women's Association, Bev Jacobs and Michelle Odette, the people that got us to uh, Sisters in Spirit, Faceless Dolls Project, they, you know, so many of these families and survivors have been working for 20 years on this. Um, A lot of the people that I've been working with for the last 20 years um, feel that this is a Hugely
0: important day.
4: Right, but
0: so how do you characterize what the leadership of the association has done today? Filed a human rights complaint. This week they created their own action plan saying that yours is a plan to have a plan and it doesn't work fast enough so they're going to do their own thing.
4: I think it's really important that we listen to the Families and Survivors Circle. They have worked extraordinarily hard to focus on the work and make sure there would be an effective and accountable plan. And if you saw their ceremony last night, they are very, very pleased and proud of the plan we've put forward. And so in working together in, in terms of as a collectivity of people focused on the work, um, that that is why today is so important to me. And I think that the work that was done on the urban reality, uh, um, Peter, if you saw this chapter that the Two-Spirited Group have come with it, it should be mandatory reading for every child in Canada in terms of of what happened, how homophobia arrived on the boats with the settlers this is This is extraordinary work that over one hundred indigenous women and two spirited people have worked together on this. Th- those are the voices that okay. that I think know they 've been heard um, and we look forward to working with all of the groups that that want to improve the plan or want to help us you implement it, we, we are open to all of the advice. Okay.
0: You you touched on the, uh, let's, let's uh, spend a little time here on the federal pathway. Uh, this is the particular part of the action plan, the federal contribution you touched on it. It promises transformative change backed by $2.2 billion in new spending over the next five years announced in the budget. What are you promising to make that change happen? It's a Four areas here, and if you can walk us through it quickly, what's the focus of trying to make that change take place?
4: Well, as you know, even Budget 2021 was very faithful to the themes identified by the National Inquiry. Culture, um, health and wellness, security and safety, and justice. And in all of the aspects of the, 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 the really, the, the priorities that were laid out in the in the final report, reclaiming power in place that and as well listening to the family and survivors circle and all of the voices at the core, we developed the federal pathway based on what we were hearing but also to be able to put the resources there so that people know that we're serious. Right, resources in indigenous
0: language, culture, infrastructure, health, and policing, uh, all areas where you're gonna be giving more more powers and, and more spending involved to indigenous groups to be able to uh, deal with those issues uh, on their own, uh, right?
4: Yeah, it's about decolonizing. I mean, so many of the the. the I mean, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls is the result of failed colonial policies, laws, uh, you know, omissions. This is a, you know, from residential schools, as we so poignantly learned this week, to to uh, the Indian Act, where women got disenfranchised or or moved to a different community after they married. This is um the, this is undoing, it's righting wrongs, but it's understanding the, okay. for all Canadians the importance of decolonizing um, the path to self determination, but also how the, the access to healing, access to justice, okay. making sure that. But what we've learned from Joyce Eschequan and and the colleges of physicians and nurses, everybody has to be part of this plan.
0: Let me finish on this very quickly. Uh, the House of Commons is debating an NDP motion today calling on the federal government to show real reconciliation by dropping legal appeals in court cases that have found uh, in favor of first nations. So how is reconciliation helped by fighting first nations in court, fighting children and residential school survivors well,
4: firstly i uh, we want to get out of court in whatever way we can, and we want to get to the table to resolve these in, in, a, in, in, in fairness, uh, to get compensation to those 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 children that were taken from their homes. But, the, we but, want the, but to,
0: the Human Rights Commission has told you what the compensation is. They've given you a dollar amount. Here's what the children deserve. What's to be negotiated?
4: Well, I think, as you will hear from Minister Miller, that what we've heard from the families and the children is that there needs to be their voices in terms of whether somebody was in in care for a week or ten years during which they were abused many times in fourteen different homes. That the compensation needs to be um, commensurate okay. um, with the the harm done, and that's the work we're doing at the table. And I and I think that is it is important that the that the voices of the families and the children and now with the class actions, they are coming to the table to be able to sort that out. All
0: right. Uh, Minister Bennett, good to talk to you tonight. Thanks for your time. We'll talk again. Thanks again. A number of Indigenous groups have complained that they were excluded from the process to create the National Action Plan. The Native Women's Association of Canada was part of the process, but then left it, calling the federal approach fundamentally flawed and the process toxic and dysfunctional. The organization has now filed a human rights complaint in Canada and called upon the United Nations. To compel the federal government to take immediate steps to end the genocide against Indigenous women and girls. Lynn Grew is the CEO of the association. She's with me now. Um, In fact, she joins me from a resiliency lodge in Chelsea, Quebec, which her organization says should be at the core of any action plan. Um, uh, Lynn Grew, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me. Uh, We now have the release of the federal action plan, and that's prompted you to file a human rights complaint and call in the United Nations. Why?
1: Yes, so we'd like to make it clear that we don't have an issue with the part of the action plan where the organizations have put forward plans on work that they wanna do. We take issue with the federal government's part of the plan called the federal pathways. That plan should have followed what the calls for justice said in call for justice 1.1, which said that the initiatives have to be specific, they have to have uh, targeted funding, they need to have an implementation plan and that's not in the government's plan. Hmm. So you can't, ha- you know, without an implementation plan, how is that an action plan? That's where we really have a, we're really taking issue.
0: So it sounds like your concern is that you feel that the government's kicking action on this down the road, that it's a, it's a plan to have a plan.
1: That's correct so it, and uh, you know if there's no action there's no plan there's no action plan it is not a real action plan and I do want to make it clear again that we we really fully support all the organizations and, and the family circle and and survivors so we definitely support those you know projects that are there or plans that are there but not this federal pathways um, report or plan uh, this this is what we we think that is really fallen short
0: okay you you, you- you introduced uh, earlier this week, you introduced your, your own plan. It's costed. It has some timelines and timetables. What, what should the federal government have proposed today? What did you want to see?
1: We wanted to see that. We wanted to see what it said in section in Call for Justice 1.1. We wanted to see the initiatives costed out with the measurable results. This is what we needed to see, not another plan that will take another one to three years To put in action. The families want action and need action. And, uh, you know, the time for waiting is, 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 you know, it's long overdue. The plan itself is already one year overdue.
0: So what's, what's at the basis of your human rights complaint and your uh, call to the United Nations to get involved in Canada?
1: Well, the basis of that is that there is a genocide in Canada, so this this has been declared, this has happened, and the government's failure to take those 231 calls and actually implement them and deal with the genocide.
0: You went further. Uh, I mean, you've talked about how you support uh, the proposals put forward. I think there's, there's uh, you know, uh, almost a couple of dozen other Indigenous groups who are involved in the process. 18, I think, the provinces, the territories. Uh, you support yes. their proposals uh, that were part of the action plan. But y- your organization also called the process uh, to develop the action plan toxic and dysfunctional. What do you mean? Yes.
1: Well, so our organization uh, represents First Nation, Métis, Inuit for over 47 years. In order for us to participate in a meaningful way, we would have had to be on committees because the constitution of this the process was all set up by committees. We would have had to have a seat on the First Nation, Métis, Inuit committees and 2SLGBTQ committees, as well as the Family uh, Survivor and Circles committee. And we were not on any of those committees. So how could we How could we participate in a meaningful Way bring forward, you know, our suggestions, our ideas, which are coming from our grassroots women. We are the largest indigenous women's organization in the country. We can't even sit on the committees. How could we have a meaningful place? And we tried. We stayed there for a while, and then we realized that, you know, our president, who was sitting uh, on on the one committee, the core, the one committee we were on, uh, you know, was, was sitting there when there was offensive remarks being made, uh, insults uh, by email, and and it was repetitive. Every meeting it was happening at every meeting and in between the meetings but,
0: but, but insults what do you mean insults about what
1: just just um, it got personal right so, so it got personal remarks that were offensive to some right and exclusionary um, this type of bullying bullying tactics i would say
0: okay so what what kind of currency then uh, do you think that this action plan we 've talked about the the groups that are part of the process and you support uh, the measures they've put forward. But what kind? we've heard from other groups today saying that uh, they, don't, they, they weren't part of the process. They were excluded. So I guess I'm wondering what kind of currency you think the action plan will have. It can't be implemented uh, across the country unless the, the groups that are involved in the process think the process uh, was the right process. So what kind of currency do you think it will have across the country?
1: you know and this is a problem that the government has so this is why you know the implementation part of their action plan or the government's pathways was so important because how now are how are they going to take hundreds of initiatives and all of these plans put them all together and we asked the minister that question specifically how on earth are you going to actually implement all of these different plans from all of these different organizations. And what we were told was that, well, yes, they'll pick and choose some initiatives and some projects. Some will be funded and some will not. So that's not an approach that is systemic. It's not stable. It's not the paradigm shift that the inquiry report talked about. It's not the transformational change. It's more short, short-term short band-aid solutions that we don't think are appropriate because we're were in a situation of a genocide.
0: Okay, uh, Lynn Gru, thanks for your perspective. Uh, I do appreciate you taking time to speak to me. Take care. Thank you very much. Well, the action plan to protect missing and murdered women and girls has been unveiled while the country is still coming to grips with the discovery of the remains of 215 children at the site of a former Indian residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. It is a time of reckoning in this country and my next two guests have some thoughts on how the reconciliation process should move forward from this moment. Mary Ellen Trepel-Lafont is the director of the Residential School History and Dialogue Centre and a law professor at the University of British Columbia. She was also the first treaty Indian to be named a judge in Saskatchewan. And Brad Regeer is the president of the Canadian Bar Association, the first Indigenous person to hold that position. He is the grandson of a residential school survivor. Uh, thank you so much, both of you, for your time tonight. And. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. And uh, Mr. Pelafon, if I can, I wanted to start by getting your early assessment of this action plan on murdered and missing Indigenous women released today. What do you think?
2: It's a bit difficult to get a complete read on it because, um, of course, as we saw, the Native Women's Association of Canada walked away from the process saying they didn't think it was adequate. Um, It does look at uh, making a substantial um, investment. But I am not sure whether or not it will respond on the ground to the very concrete issues that have been identified in terms of the safety of Indigenous women and in girls. And of course, it will be important to hear the voices of those who have lost um, daughters and sisters, mothers and aunties, grandmothers, to hear um, their views. It's a long time coming. And again, it's another step in a process that has been very slow. Uh, in terms of addressing some of these fundamental human rights violations that Indigenous people have experienced.
0: Mr. Gear, the action plan on murdered missing women and girls is viewed as, uh, as we just heard from uh, Mary-Ellen Trappel lafont as another step on the path to reconciliation. But, but it doesn't offer any immediate change. Is it a meaningful plan in your view and what you've been able to uh, get from it so far?
3: Well, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to uh, analyze uh, the report itself, it only came out uh, a very short time ago today. Mike, um, I do certainly have a concern that a major player uh, has walked away from the plan and has uh, problems with it. Uh, so that those issues need to be rectified. Um, again, it's a long time coming. It's uh, it's uh, over two years since the, uh, the final report was tabled. Uh, Certainly, as an association, we'll be looking uh, carefully at the recommendations, and particularly those that uh, deal with justice issues. Uh,
0: Mary Ellen Trapel-Lafont, the action plan today has once again put the focus on the treatment of Indigenous women and girls. And it it comes as Canadians are still trying to come to terms with the discovery of the remains of those 215 children at the former residential school in Kamloops. So Canadians can't escape the raw evidence uh, of how Indigenous people have been treated by this country. What's the significance of this moment, uh, in your view, on the path to reconciliation?
2: I think the significance of the moment is it's increasingly hard for Canada and Canadians to take the approach of denying and minimizing what happened at the schools. It's a time to actually recognize that what the survivors told many, many courts where they had to bring their cases and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is um, evidence of a significant crime that happened in terms of the loss of the lives of children, children who are missing and we don't know where they are. Um, and I hope it's a moment where we can say we will stop denying, minimizing and downplaying the impact of not just residential schools, but the legacy of Canada's state colonialism that, uh, in, you know, enabled and enacted for children to be rounded up and forced to attend schools and all of the harms that they experience, that they've courageously said, and Canada has attacked and denied it for years. And of course, survivors and um, groups uh, trying to advocate for justice still are in the courts. Uh, like the bands are still in the courts to get compensation right. for the cultural language and other loss from the schools. So it's been a long journey, and to have to uncover this for uh, to have to do this on their own as a project without having Canada's to be accountable at the international level for what is appears very clearly and was known to be a humanitarian crime, a potential crime. Um, it doesn't look well on Canada, but it has to be a turning point. The denial, disrespect, and mistreatment of
0: survivors, including intergenerational survivors, has to end uh, Mr. Re- Regeer, how, how does, how should the discovery of those remains affect the process of reconciliation and, and who should be held to account and, and how should they help be held to account?
3: Well, certainly the federal government needs to be held to account. And frankly, the churches have to be held to account, too. They actively participated in this and it was their employees who engaged in these, uh, these. I'll, I'll say for now, potential crimes. Uh, it's, it's a wake-up call, it's a reckoning, uh, it's, it's showing Canadians that, yeah, th- these are more than just words in a final report somewhere, this actually happened, and we've got the evidence of it. There was, there was a request made to Canada during the TRC process to fund uh, searching out all of these uh, missing children to, to find the missing cemeteries, and it was rejected. And it's, I, I, I just find it astounding that it's the expectation that Indigenous peoples and First Nations and Métis groups and Inuit groups are the ones who are going to have to undertake this work and pay for it uh, to get it done. It, I just, um, frankly, it, it, it's appalling to me.
0: Let me, let me move on. The MPs in the House of Commons, uh, in the wake of the Kamloops discovery, uh, Mary Ellen, um, have agreed to fast-track two government bills, C-8, which changes Canada's oath of citizenship to acknowledge treaty rights, and C-5, to establish a National Day of Reconciliation. And you touched on it, I think. At the same time, the federal government's in court, appealing legal rulings in favour of First Nations on several fronts. How does that undermine the promise of reconciliation?
2: Well, I think it's the totality of what Canada does and when we see different steps that parliamentarians are engaged in through these bills and they are important they almost always came from um, Indigenous members of parliament or Indigenous concepts that came forward through the Senate through leadership so these bills are important as is Bill C-15 to implement the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People but Canada has another face that Canadians are seeing more which is one that has a desire to hide and fight, and sometimes with things like documents, make agreements with churches so that they're able to not to conceal and to limit and to put constraints on the truth and to not fully embrace what they should do, which is a very high level of accountability. And as President Regehr, um indicated, you know Canada needs to be held to account because these were state actions. And we're very suspicious about the capacity of Canada to hold itself to account because it's consistently not done that. And trust has been very broken. So on the residential school burial sites, it will be very important that Canada does invite the United Nations. The United Nations has flagged that Canada must follow proper procedure. We should be inviting them in. The parliamentarians are going to need to urge the prime minister to invite them in. And for us to deal with the burial site in particular in a way that complies with our international Ms. obligations and finally stop yeah. hiding.
0: Mr. Gear, in the 30 seconds or so we have left, there's a national public saddened, shocked, shamed uh, by the revelations of the past week, uh, looking for how to play their part in change. Uh, how do they do it?
3: I think they can reach out to their government leaders, their MPs, their MLAs if they need to, and, and, and tell them, you need to get this done. This, uh, these, the calls to action need to be implemented. They need to be fully implemented. And on this particular issue, uh, Canada needs to step up. And uh, we, we've got we've to bring these kids home.
0: All right. Thank you both for your, uh, your uh, thoughts and perspectives this evening. Uh, good to talk to you both. And I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And that is all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.